This is JCU Conversations, a podcast show from James Cook University, Singapore. Tune in as we ask experts in the industry more about their lives and their approach to success. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's listen to today's episode. Hi, I'm Karen West, Dean of Research, and welcome to JCU Conversations, a podcast show from James Cook University, Singapore. This is where we ask experts in industry more about their lives and their approach to success. Today, our guest is Professor Robert Morris, Chief Technology Strategist at the Ministry of Health Office for Healthcare Transformation and Professor at Yong Lu Lin School of Medicine at the National University of Singapore. Welcome, Robert, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Karen. Glad to be here. Wonderful. Well, I'm I'm very excited about today's interview because I did see you speak a couple of weeks ago, and it was and it was a great presentation. So, um, you've had a very interesting career which spans a number of countries. To set the scene a little bit for our listeners, can you tell us a bit about your childhood? Yeah, as a as a kid, I I grew up in uh, Tasmania, and as a kid, I was very interested in in electronics and technology and the early days of computing uh, quite quite a nerd really and uh, very focused on that so technology would have been a, a very new thing um, yeah. and sort of computers in those days is it something that always fascinated you through school and then into your sort of university space and and career yeah yeah ab- absolutely well I, I you know I found uh, Biology and uh, social sciences quite interesting. I really did want to focus on things where you could get exact reproducible outcomes. Uh, you know, you could prove theorems about what was going to happen. You could get uh, very precise results. And and my friends that were like interested in in medicine and things like that, they they uh, they, they always seemed to be doing memory work and didn't seem to be really able to explain how things work, which kind of turned me off a little bit. But things changed over the years. They they did. So you've made <laughs> this shift from what was a, a very reproducible world into healthcare technology. Yeah. Um, you know, so so why that shift sideways? When did that sort of happen in, in your career? I, I think it had happened a couple of ways. One one uh, was external, meaning that um, the field got, in my mind, so much more exciting. It was things like the discovery of the genome and the sequencing of the genome and our ability to begin to explain a lot of fundamental processes that, um, that uh, really seemed, seemed to change everything from, from my perspective. But I think even probably bigger than that was as you get older, you have personal experiences um, and uh, you, you naturally kind of become more humanistic. You see uh, your parents, your family, your immediate family, uh, you know, suffering with, uh, with, with certain kinds of diseases. You see sometimes the less than explainable outcomes that you get when they receive treatment and so on. And it just becomes much more personal and you realize the importance of, of those parts of your life. Okay. So I would imagine that there's been a number of highs and a number of lows in this in yeah. throughout your career. Is was there ever one particular challenge or goal um, that you thought I I want to do this? Robert Morris wants to achieve this in his yeah. career. 
I, I think um, kind of highlights were really working on on the most advanced uh, technology. So I had had the opportunity to be involved with the um, deep blue chess machine playing the the uh, world champion and defeating the world champion in chess and AI project. I, I wasn't a direct technical contributor, but I was still involved. And that was very exciting. Working on problems like uh, I lived in China for several years and worked on air pollution in China, which was uh, very fascinating. Worked on the first uh, quantum computer that could actually do a calculation. So all those things were were um, were very exciting. And then also along the way, there were you know, maybe in the sense of not so exciting scientifically or technically, but things that perhaps at the time I took like medicine uh, in the sense of kind of having to swallow medicine. So things like working on problem areas that I didn't find so interesting, like manufacturing, for example, using computer science in manufacturing. But it turned out to be very, very interesting because you explore the interaction between humans and complex systems. You see how humans react. And then even more so in business, being exposed to business. I was in the commercial sector for many years. And just seeing the importance of having, you know, being in a health, financially healthy institution and one that's profitable and has revenue growth. And at first you think that might not be your interest, but but it, it once again, it, it 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 is so valuable because you know the profit and loss and the competition in the marketplace teaches you so much about how to how to be competitive, how to pay attention to what others are doing, which you might tend to write off, but then you realize actually they have a lot of smart people too, you know, doing yeah. those things. And and also human incentives, just learning about human incentives and what makes people tick. And sometimes that's more in powerful, more powerful than any science or technology of hand, you know, what's actually driving people to do things in certain ways. Sometimes that's financial, sometimes that's non non-financial. But I think uh, meeting all those kinds of problems along the way really helps one to be able to work on hard problems like that. Great. So your current role um, has a has a grand title, Chief Technology Strategist yeah. at the Ministry of Health Office for Healthcare Transformation. Tell us a little bit about that role. Yeah, what, what we try to do in, in, in that, that new outfit, which is actually a startup, it was um, set up. Uh, by government of Singapore, but it actually runs like a startup, and it tries to find ways of transforming healthcare and demonstrating them in Singapore, but if possible, exporting them to the world as well. And uh, it's uh, obviously not an easy thing to do. Everyone knows that healthcare, in, in as many aspects, means transformation. Um, and so we just pick a few of what we think are the most important things to work on, and we try to transform them, but uh, it turns out that technology and information is very fundamentally important because when you stand back and look at it, um, the delivery of healthcare is really an information game. It's all about having the right amongst a mass sea of information, having the right information at the right time, both in the small setting of like dealing with a patient encounter um, and understanding all the surrounding data and making a decision in very limited time, ranging through to understanding population health, which means understanding the masses of data, what's really happening to our population, you know, how is it suffering? How could we, we be more effective in both outcomes and costs in order to treat them? So it's a, it's really very much an information and even a data 
game. And uh, that's been my role to try to help insert our technology into the picture. Great. You know, and, and I think that that brings us beautifully into sort of looking at some of the, the crucial areas in health technology today. So I know there's a couple of focus areas um, in your in your office at the Ministry of Health. Um, what do you think, well, can, can you sort of share with us what those focus areas are and how they will be key to creating sustainability within that space? Yeah, yeah, we're very data-driven and very analytically driven. So we start with the burden of disease. So we start with really understanding um, you know, where the suffering and the high costs are coming from to the system. The costs are always important because you know you have to pay for what you're doing. And if you you have limit always have limited funds and you have to focus on improving your system in certain areas. So uh, that leads us very quickly to the most predominant chronic diseases, you know, things like diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, um, because they lead to so much of the, uh, so many of the complications later on and very high hospitalization costs. But very interestingly, the, the place, to, it's almost too late once you get to the hospital, so you have to address them much earlier in primary care where early diagnoses are first met and in even before primary care, even out in the community. And we know that the way people live their lives uh, from day to day uh, in terms of their diet, activity, stress levels, smoking, et cetera, those are the things that perhaps are the biggest dangers. So we have to push back uh, all the way into the community and into the uh, into the uh, way people you know, make their day-to-day decisions about how to lead their lives in order to change those outcomes which become chronic diseases and then end up uh, with uh, uh, serious complications, hospitalization, even early death. And having having named those chronic diseases, we also need to do it in the context of where can we, where, what needs the most transformation and where can we do things that aren't already being done. And with that, we very quickly come to another big uh, disease, and that's mental health. We very quickly find that mental health is, um, particularly in Asia, is uh, quite neglected, in need of a lot of uh, improved services, a lot of uh, awareness, and also, as it turns out, quite amenable to science and technology uh, and the use of apps and things like that, if carefully applied. So that's uh, that's a little summary of the kinds of things and we carefully and tastefully appear like technologies like app, mobile technologies, data science, AI, et cetera, to those very, very selectively, carefully to try to improve outcomes. It's, and as you know, mental health is an area specifically of interest to mine. And it, and I think it, it um, that links well to the next question I was going to ask. It's difficult to talk about health and healthcare without managing the pandemic. And we know that there's this expectation that there will be a mental health tsunami that that follows. Um, So talk us through, uh, I suppose, how you think the pandemic has helped shape the needs um, of our healthcare system during it. But I I believe it's made changes going forward. I'm I'm interested in what you think. Oh, I think it's, uh, for me, being relatively new to healthcare, it's been just an amazing experience. Of course, there's been a lot of disruption and suffering and economic effects and so on and impacts on our lives, but it's also had a silver lining that it's uh, 
uh, it's allowed us to really realize the impact of marvelous technologies like vaccination um, and the importance that's reiterated that again for, and it's shown us that we can do things that we never thought we could do in vaccination. It's also uh, been a, 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 you know, an exercise in major logistics, getting people vaccinated, being able to care for people when hospitals are full and predict, uh, predict bed usage, ICU usage, those, those kinds of things. But coming back to your point about mental health, it uh, obviously exacerbated issues of mental health with uh, isolation and, and all kinds of stresses on people. Some people lost their jobs and the food and beverage, for example, a lot of people lost their job. Many people were placed, placed under family stresses with caregiving, with being isolated at home, not having care for their children and so on. So it's been a tremendous stressor. And uh, one of the uh, silver linings for us is it really pushed us to get into kind of self-help in, in mental health and uh, uh, put out some apps that have become widely used uh, to try to help people, not just deal with the mental health uh, conditions themselves, like anxiety and depression and so on, but actually just to locate uh, things that might be able to help you in the community. So we, we try to bundle it all into one, not just the mental health, but the things that create the mental health stressors. So we bundle into our mental health app, which is called mindblind.sg. Uh, we bundle into that things like, you know, getting economic help, getting caregiver help, getting you know, help with, um, um, you know, relationship problems, domestic abuse, these kinds of things. We bundle that all into one place so people can easily see both maybe ways of alleviating the stresses on themselves and at the same time dealing with the things. I just feel something is wrong. I can't put my finger on it, but I know something is wrong and I, I kind of have to work through this with, either with a, a you know, set of resources and reading or interacting with a bot or, or in many cases talking with a person that can help you. You know, absolutely. And one of the things that we know about mental health is acknowledging that it exists yes. um, and being able to talk is that first step and and I think that's probably difficult for many people so I'm going to ask you um, if you wouldn't mind sharing what you do to protect your mental health yeah so I, I think everyone is um, everyone has ups and downs everyone experiences setbacks um, and uh, you know we all have stresses and we all we all exhibit uh, some some kinds of anxiety and depression it's very human to exhibit and to incur those kinds of feelings from time to time. And I think it's different in, in everyone's situation. So some people actually need attention to the root cause and they really need to work on the, on the root cause, whether that be a, you know, a, a hardship of some kind or a, a, a relationship problem, which could be with a boss or a family member and so on. So all of those things we need, we need help to work through. Um, and we have different ways of achieving that, which could range from actually getting help, which is very important to, to get, you know, to get help when needed, through to personal things we can do. For me, I find I find meaningful work, you know, very therapeutic. So just just being able to do meaningful work and have something to um, to consume my mind and feel that I might be getting something meaningful done, and and if it, if it's helping others, well, that's a bonus. And it's well known in, uh, in the literature, and it's, it's quite well demonstrated that even very basic 
techniques where you start to focus outside your own problems, such as gratitude journaling, you know, things like that. Those, those, those techniques work and volunteering and those kinds of things, um, you know, they, they seem to work. So I've found all of those useful. But I would just reiterate again for people who are facing serious stresses and, and uh, um, uh, you know, problems of any kind of description, there is help out there in many forms. Uh, you can find hotlines, you can find uh, professional help, you can even find free help to deal with those kinds of things. So it's, it's very, very important not just to have those things fester, to work through them either in your own ways with self-help and, and, and by all means, uh, you know, people should reach out. Thank you. Sorry, I got a, a tickle then. Yeah. So one of the last questions I want to ask you is, given this wonderful career that you've had, if you could travel back in time to the 21-year-old you, what do you think he would think of where you are today? Well, I really, uh, you know, couldn't have imagined. I was probably being a very naive kind of nerd. I was like, what on earth are you doing? Why are you doing that? Uh, and, and and then perhaps uh, you, I, I might have reflected and said, well, maybe, maybe something has changed. Maybe something has changed. Maybe something has changed in the world of human biology and whether it be neuroscience or genomics or micro, uh, microbiology, something has changed that suddenly, or maybe not so suddenly, but has made this more amenable and more, and even more important than the problems that fascinated um, me so much as a, as a younger person. And so I think it's a combination of a change in our ability uh, now with with information technologies, with basic science, with improved understanding of human biology to address some of these issues. But I think it's also a consequence of growing up and experiencing different things. And, and I think we all should try to uh, you know, widen our experience, aperture, try different things, make career changes, take a course or you know, do, a, do a volunteering assignment or, a, uh, or a, take a job, part-time job or, or a summer job. Uh, to learn things that you could say you, you don't really think you need to know, but find out about them anyway. You just might find something about people, about how systems work, that um, that might change it up. Wonderful advice to take forward. Thank you so much, Robert. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to talk to you today, um, and I think it's been a wonderful conversation. So thank you for joining us. Um, can you... Briefly tell our listeners where they can find you online if they were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think probably the you know the way that we find each other these days is through LinkedIn. It's a pretty a pretty good uh, tool, and uh, contact uh, you know through you, Karen. I, I won't put my email up, but you can reach me through email. Wonderful. Well, um, that's it for today. And again, thank you, Professor Robert Morris, for joining us. And this has been JCU Conversations. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.